Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to this week's Beyond the Column. This is a weekly podcast where we take a deep dive on the latest column, from the long time, and I mean long time, he's really old, everybody, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist, <laughs> Benny J. Ben Jarofsky. Ben, it's Friday. We just finished today's show and a bonus interview. How are you feeling? I'm, I got, I'm fired up, man. Holy I can do God. three more hours. Can you? Uh, maybe not. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that third hour would be a little rough. Uh, and yes, we have a special guest joining us this week. It's professor and author, David Ferris. Yes. We twisted his arm to staying around one, for one more show. <laughs> He's going to start charging us if we don't let him get out uh, pretty soon. He's featured in one of our Benny J bonus interviews this weekend. Make sure you go check it out if you've yet to all things the presidential election. And Now, of course, Beyond the Column would not be possible without the paper that publishes your work, The Chicago Reader. To find out what's really going on in Chicago, read The Chicago Reader. Events and concert calendars, where to eat, where to shop, performance previews and reviews. My personal favorite, although I no longer recognize any of the bands in 2020, is the early warning concert listings. Mm. I'll recognize a few every now and again. And new in 2020, everything that you need to know about legalized recreational reefer, how to consume it, where to buy it, literally everything that you need to know. Also, let's not forget to mention Chicago political punditry from our colleague Maya Dukmasova, and yes, the man himself, Ben Jarofsky. Speaking of, Ben and Maya just finished a batch of Backroom Deal episodes. We have a local election coming up, so if you're completely clueless on any of the elections, never fear. Ben Jarofsky and Maya Duke Massaver are here. The Senate races, state rep, Cook County Circuit Court Clerk, Board of Review, the Water Reclamation District, and so much more. Go download the Backroom Deal, get informed, and hey, you can act like you knew what was going on the whole time. We won't ever find out. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Chicago Reader's awesome. So awesome, in fact, that it is free. ChicagoReader.com and find a copy in newsstands all across the city of Chicago. Okay, Benny J, your latest work is out. Let's talk about it. Now, this column uh, is involving the 2020 presidential election. So, yes, it's a national news column. Ben, everyone knows you're a Chicago political junkie, but you've put out quite a few columns lately involving the national news. What's the process here? How do you decide whether to write a local or a national column? Well, I'm going through a phase of existence where I'm utterly obsessed with national politics. I'm sort of dedicating myself uh, to defeating Donald Trump. I'm one little voice here in the wilderness, and so I'm going to use whatever influence I have because I think he's a, a lunatic, and he uh, just... just the way he's dealing with the coronavirus is exhibit A, of that he's completely incompetent and should not be our president and is endangering our future uh, as a civilization. So, uh, but it is, it's not a stretch and uh, for me to write about national politics because I've been obsessed with national politics my whole life. And this particular column deals with the notion, I call it panic peddling, uh, that the Democratic mainstream Democrats are doing by invoking the 1972 
uh, Democratic candidate George McGovern and his race against Richard Nixon. And that's why I asked David Ferris to stick around, uh, because as, as a political scientist, he knows a thing or two about uh, primary elections and uh, presidential elections and obviously uh, political history of the last 100 years or so, even though, David, you were not alive back in 1972. I mean, a little bit. I, mean, I was a little bit not alive. Okay, but, you were uh, a little bit. You I had aspirations. Like, you had aspirations. Yeah. It's like being a little bit pregnant. Anyway, yeah. um, nobody in this room was alive back in 1972. I was alive. So here's the notion I set up. I'm going to uh, lay out the notion that I present uh, in the column and then turn things over to David um, and get his thoughts on this. <clears throat> One of the, the things that uh, mainstream Democrats have been saying about burning uh, to serve as part of what I call the panic peddling, uh, to get to uh, frightened Democratic voters in this primary into voting for anyone but Bernie. But in this particular case, it's Joe Biden because everybody else has dropped out. All the other moderates have dropped out. Uh, the, the Part of the panic it, that they're peddling is the notion that if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, it'll be exact replication of what went down in 1972 when George McGovern was the nominee and George McGovern lost uh, an electoral nightmare to President Richard Nixon who ran at him, uh, wrote him off as a uh, pot-smoking lefty, won every single state except for Massachusetts, did win the District of Columbia, God bless the District of Columbia, they should make it a state, mm -hmm. as David Ferris says. Uh, and uh, as a result, Democrats should never, ever, ever allow themselves to nominate a candidate who's too far to the left of the center. And so the Democrats, ever since 72, have been moving right, moving toward the center uh, in each election cycle to try to win over Republicans, win over swing voters, convince people they're not as evil lefties, commies, that the Republicans depict them as. And this is all a, a byproduct of the 1972 election. And this is the, the, the myth they've been selling ever since I hear it every election cycle, I've been hearing it for the last two election cycles, David Ferris, regarding Bernie Sanders. The one particular point I zeroed in that is special about this one is the, the Democrats are going around saying if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, the Democrats will not only lose the White House, they will not only fail to take back the Senate, but they will lose their majority in the House and the Republicans will control everything. And I just took a look back to 1972 to see if that were true in 72 when George McGovern lost that disastrous electoral uh, election to Nixon. And guess what? The Democrats lost, I think, two House seats, but held on to the House and they captured seats in the Senate. They held on to the Senate. So they walked away from that uh, debacle in 72 controlling the House and the Senate, thus disproving this ridiculous horror story that the Democratic, the the mainstream Democrats are trying to peddle uh, to Democrat to the Democrat electric. That's my takeaway. I think it's uh, there's no rhyme or reason uh, to vote against Bernie Sanders on this uh, for this reason. Do you agree with me, David? I both agree and slightly disagree with you. Go. Um, so the the area of agreement is, I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that Bernie Sanders would take the party down to a to a McGovern style disaster. You know, McGovern lost 49 states. Right? Yeah. He won um, the uh, Massachusetts. Yeah, I think he lost 61 to 39 in the popular vote, right? And that's just not going to happen. When I can tell you that, like I will uh, I will eat 
this studio table. <laughs> Please don't. We don't Chop have another. I'll put some onions in it. I will eat these headphones. Like, okay. So like, if the Democratic candidate loses 61 to 39 in November, yeah. I don't know what would have happened in America, but like, it's just inconceivable. Right? Like, yeah. Partisanship is so hardened that the idea that any major party candidate will get less than you know, 43, 44% of the vote yeah. today is inconceivable because we are just, we exist in a different partisan universe than we did in 72. And the reality is that if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, then like 97% of strong Democrats are going to come out for him. Like 87% of like weak Democrats are going to come out, come out for him. And he's going to, he's going to get 45% at the bare minimum. Okay. So there is no way like people, I, I, I keep running into people in the elevators of, of my institution, I'm not going to name names, but they keep coming up to me and they're like, so if Bernie's the nominee, we're going to lose 40, 44 states, right? And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, name the states yeah. that we're going to lose, <laughs> you know? So, okay, maybe, we'll, you know, yeah, sure. Bernie could lose Arizona and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, you know, like there are some swing states that if things go wrong, right? And things could go wrong. Bernie could lose those states. But if you say that we're going to lose 40 states, you're saying that Bernie's going to lose Hawaii, Bernie's <laughs> going to lose New Jersey, Bernie's going to lose Maryland. You know, it's just like it's New York. In, it's, it's inconceivable yeah. that Democrats could lose the kind of election that they lost in 72. It's off the table. It will never happen again in our lifetimes uh, unless there's a fundamental resetting of partisanship. Um, so I think that the scaremongering about Bernie is is really is crazy. The, the, the poll, we have five years of polls going back to 2015 where Bernie does just as well as anybody else, if not better, mm-hmm. against Donald Trump. You know, That's not to say I don't think that Bernie has vulnerabilities. He really does. Um, and there are things to be concerned about in terms of the primary turnout so far. There are things to be concerned about in terms of like what, what he does and says in his past. Sure. like Bernie could lose the election. Like I'm not one of these people that's like, Bernie will beat Trump no matter what. Right, like I, I, I think he would, but he could also not. Like there's way, there's scenarios that he could not do that. Um, where I would disagree with you a little bit is that um, the kind of split ticket voting that you're talking about has has plummeted to almost nothing. So that in 2016 there were zero states that voted for the president and their senate seat differently. You know, so in like well, 1976 <clears throat> there were. 10, 15 states that voted for Carter for president, but Republican for Congress mm-hmm. or for the Senate. You know, in 1980, there were probably more states where Reagan won the presidency and a Democrat won the Senate seat in that state. Mm. Right. Um, and we have kind of departed that universe where I, I do think I do think it's accurate to say that, like, the fate of Bernie Sanders will determine the fate of the Senate candidate in in Maine and in Arizona and uh, in Colorado mm-hmm. or wherever else we, we have an open seat, you know. Um, so if, you know, if there's a scenario where Bernie would lose by 10 points nationally, that probably would drag the party down with it. But I don't think that there's any evidence to suggest that that's what would okay. happen. You so, know? yeah. Uh, and, and the point I was making uh, in the column was that I think it's inconceivable, and this is just a gut-level feeling. I was looking at congressional districts, swing districts, districts that went 
from Republican to Democrat in this last go around. And these are districts where the trend had already been growing mm-hmm. toward Democrat. Hillary Clinton may have won them or come very close to winning them in 2016. And Donald Trump was so obnoxious on so many levels and so just can't take them uh, for so many voters that they felt compelled to vote for a Democrat, a moderate Democrat, a non-Bernie, I understand it. There are no Bernie Democrats won any of these states. Yeah, like Sean Caston. Sean Caston. I know you talked Caston. about it in the article, yeah. right? Um, and it's like, it's, it's hard to imagine people voting against Caston because Bernie's the nominee. Right? Absolutely hard. Just, I can't imagine. It's like, if anything, it would reinforce a Caston vote because if you feel so turned off by Bernie that you vote for Donald Trump, even though you voted for Sean Caston in 2018, okay? I cannot imagine in a million years you would vote for Jeannie Ives, who is so right-wing. And yeah, no, she's okay, a lunatic. She, she's yeah. a lunatic. Okay, she's be... I, she's, I can't imagine... It's like, it, 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 you know, it's just, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll double down. Mm-hmm. I'll not only vote for Trump, I'll vote for someone who's even more extreme than Trump, as opposed to putting a check on Trump. I think there would be an inclination by swing voters to put a check on... I, you know, I met Jeannie Ibsen in this I've, various, not this studio, but it, in this building on election night 2018. She was in the waiting room while I was waiting to go on to, to speak about the midterms yeah. on, on the Sun-Times uh, coverage that yeah. night. And when they announced Illinois for, for, uh, for Pritzker, very, you know, obviously like seven minutes after the polls closed, she started laughing hysterically. <laughs> and she was like, man, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> I told you that Ronner wouldn't win, man. I told you. And she was so happy. She probably you know? voted for Pritzker. She was so happy. And then she was like, who are you again? Yeah. And I was like, I'm a left-wing college professor. Uh, I should probably leave. You know? <laughs> that's hilarious. She was Genie out of her mind. Oh, God, um, that's funny. Uh, so, the, so there you are. So, but I think that, the, you know, I think the real dynamic here is that... Um, that partisanship would just snap back for Bernie, for most people, you know, like in the same way that it did in 2016 for Trump, where it's like, uh, you would, if you ask people in March, you've asked Republicans in March of 2016, like, will you vote for Trump and will you vote for your Republican candidate? You know, pe- people would have said no. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Trump was down like 16 points at some point yeah. to, to Clinton or Sanders. Um, and then it, and when he got the nomination and they went at the convention, and it was like the, the institutional party endorsed him you know they shored up the support to a, to the floor the two-party floor which is like 40 42 percent mm-hmm. you know um and so i'm just not that worried that bernie's going to cost the house majority like could could there be some ticket splitters could there be more ticket splitters yeah sure mm-hmm. um i would argue that it's not that like caston's going to win and bernie's going to lose i think it's like caston's going to win and bernie's going to win or Caston's going to lose and Bernie's going to lose. You know, it's like there's there's one of two universes, yeah. you know, and that the, 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 the votes move in tandem hmm. with one another. Uh, it depends on the fate of the party nationally. It depends on how Trump is doing. Um, frankly, the events of the last three weeks make me think that kind of anyone on the face of the earth, like the phone that I'm holding in my hand, <laughs> could beat Trump. If it had a D next to its name, it could beat Trump because he's, he's so he's, bad. He's so bad, and it's we we have a crisis right yeah. now that's that's very scary, um, and that he's not handling very well no. uh, because he he couldn't because he doesn't believe in science and he doesn't believe in administration. And he's a, a lunatic. Yeah, he's a lunatic. 
His first impulse is to attack attack Democrats, attack the media because he's being criticized. The man yeah. is a lunatic. And he, did you read the study today that says that Republicans are washing their hands less than Democrats? No, I didn't see that. Oh, God damn. It was like 65% of Democrats are washing their hands and 35% of Republicans are. That uh, Women wow. are washing their hands more than men, like just middle finger to all men. And uh, it's wow. just astounding. You know, it's like this guy... Yeah. is putting really dangerous misinformation out there. Like, I, I hope, I truly hope, because I have elderly parents who are, are vulnerable to this thing, and I truly hope that it's not as serious as, as it looks. Um, I don't want to win the 2020 election by virtue of a pandemic and a stock market collapse. Like, I'd rather win just on the merits, yeah. you know? But he's really inviting disaster, um, by by claiming that this is not a real problem, it's not serious, and you don't have to you don't have to worry about it. This it's, is it's by just the way, crazy. A repeat of what went down in Puerto Rico when the hurricane yeah. hit. Uh, that was at the old radio station, and we would talk about it. His attitude about Puerto Rico and his utter indifference, his hostility toward Puerto Ricans, and the the island is still struggling in the aftermath. And but it didn't matter. Because in the minds of most Republican voters, well, it's Puerto Rico. They got it coming right. anyway. And uh, but yeah, that I didn't know about the study that showed the Republicans are buying into it so much. Well, this they, I mean, this is a, a virus that could wipe out two percent of Trump's base. You know, it's like it specifically targets elderly voters. Well, yeah. not elderly, but elderly people. Elderly, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's not like, did you vote in the last election? I will infect your lungs. I will infect your lungs, sir. Yeah. Uh, if you're a red, if you're not a registered voter, I'll yeah, leave you alone. You're yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. non-voter, you're good. Yeah, uh, uh, but but it is it is astounding to me that um, not just on a human level and a leadership level that he obviously should be more worried about this than he is, but he he's so stupidly reading it all through politics that he thinks. Denying the crisis will help him when, in fact, mismanaging the American federal government is going to lead to larger numbers of deaths in the people that support him. Yeah. So this is why I say, and this is my faith in humanity, that I do not believe. To give that up, man. I, I know, <laughs> just give it up. That, that an educated voter, an upscale, educated, college-educated voter in the Chicago suburbs who believes in science, who believes in a woman's right to choose, and but is so turned off by Bernie, okay, that he or she votes for Trump, which is quite a stretch already, mm-hmm. would then turn around and vote for Jeannie Ives. And yeah. you know what? This is my thing to the, the Democrats, the mainstream Democrats. You guys peddle so much BS. It just, you just... You open up your mouth, throw it in. You expect us to swallow it and digest it. And I just can't take it. So so many of my columns I've been writing lately have been confronting just the bullshit that my party, David, my beloved Democratic the Party. Democrats. That I have, the Democrats. I loyally have voted for these people year after year. Just open up. Shove it in, and I'm sorry. I can't yeah, really no, you're in your inner Kim Fox here saying <laughs> bullshit. I have voted, yeah, but it's for not the, that unusual for me. I, you know, I, I started voting in 1994, and I've not voted for anything but a Democratic candidate in any race at any level the entire time that I've been alive. And it's like, can you throw me a bone? You know, 
Like, can Joe yeah. Biden talk about like daycare or something? <laughs> like, I've got a one-year-old. Can you sit? Can you give me something? Yeah. Some <laughs> reason? Could you to be enthusiastic about you? Could you imagine? Joe, well, anyway, Joe Biden talking about the Dan, you can put him in daycare and, and the, the and the leg hair with the <laughs> you remember the corn pop and the the razors and the rain barrel. <laughs> And folks, uh, <laughs> let me. Here's the deal. I can't. I'm just. I have uh, nightmares. Play the radio. Make sure the television. <laughs> excuse me. Make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. Make sure the kids hear words. All right. Make sure the kids hear words. Isn't that our mission here <laughs> on this radio program? Uh, is to make sure that the once kids again, hear words. The so. column is titled "Panic Peddlers." <laughs> Centrist dibs are using the 1972 election to scare voters away from Bernie. If You've yet to go check it out. And hey, if you disagree with it, send Ben a comment online. He loves those. <laughs> I'm always getting somebody. I, always, I would say comments run against me by nine to one at least. Whenever I write a you know column, it's just, oh, I can't stand this guy. ChicagoReader.com available in newsstands now. All right, real quick here. It's time for my favorite part of this podcast special where we take a trip down memory lane oh, into Ben Jarofsky column past mm. this week. I went deep in the archive, okay. all right? All the way back to March 12th, 1992. Good God. Ben's been writing right <laughs> He's old, gang. All right, so some things about March 12th, 1992. Ben Jarofsky, mayor of Chicago, March 12th, 1992. Come on, Richard M. Daly. All right, Richard M. Daly. The Bulls record, Chicago Bulls basketball record, March 12th, 1992. Wait, literally their record for the season I mean, or that date? I, for the season. I have it right here. Oh, the wait, hold on. I could do this. Uh, they won 61 games in 91, and they won 67 games in 92. It says here, Bulls record, March 12th, 1992, at this point, was 53-12. and 12. Okay, time out. I said for this full for the season. season. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't know what the record was on, but come on. I mean, I wasn't challenging you. This is three twelve. Sounds right. This yeah. Is informative. <laughs> it's not a quiz. Every time we talk, Ben. We're just informing uh, listeners. Okay. It's not the quiz show. The you number. Ask, one... Do you remember quizzing me about the mayoral candidates? Yes. Oh my did god. Not do well. Dave. Yeah, I didn't do well at all. I'm glad That's you brought bad. that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the number one movie, March twelfth, nineteen ninety-two. Silence of the Lambs. You want to take a guess, David? Um, the Bodyguard. Wayne's World. Whoa, <laughs> what a great movie. <laughs> the number one album, March 12th, 1992. Oh, my Aunt Cindy would be so excited if she were listening to this. Rope in the Wind by Garth Brooks. Oh, the guy, is that uh, the one with the hat? That, yeah, it's the country singer with <laughs> the that, hat. Is that the one with the achy, breaky heart? Uh, no, that, that would be Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> I see you know country music. I'm just going to leave the studio now. I feel like I've failed. <laughs> That's Billy Ray Cyrus. All right, and this column, March 12th, 1992, from Ben Gerard. This is my favorite part to see if Ben actually remembers writing this. March 12th, 1992, the Chicago Reader. Believe it or not, two interesting races for ward committeemen. Oh, I remember this. And all right, I remember this I'll, re I'll read a little bit of it, and Ben, you take us back. It says here, back when Harold Washington and Edward Verdoliak were slugging it out for control of the local Democratic Party, a race for committeemen in the 49th and 6th wards would have telegraphed the future of local politics. But these days... 1992, these days, there's little passion in the trenches. Most party leaders have sworn oaths of blind allegiance to Mayor Daley, and there's no struggle for control of the organization. As a result, several interesting matchups in the March 17th elections are going virtually unnoticed. Whatever their outcome, these races will not affect the power structure. Yeah, I, that, wow, damn, that could, I, bringing, re, hearing that brought back memories, I, uh, 
David, you should know something about me. I spent years writing, covering Chicago, obscure uh, elections in Chicago. Mm -hmm. The stuff I've wrote, I've written about, it's amazing. So I believe the committee in the race in, in the sixth uh, uh, aldermanic, uh, excuse me, the sixth ward would have been Eugene Sawyer running uh, for re-election as committeeman. He had been the mayor. Uh, and uh, this was, it's actually kind of sad. Chicago's black community was totally divided in 89, a power struggle between uh, uh, Tim Evans and Eugene Sawyer. It never regained its power. Daily controlled the city as a result ever since. And Eugene Sawyer was the mayor. And by 92, he was unable to even get reelected uh, as committeeman. So I was writing about uh, how the fallout from the 92 mayoral race, excuse me, the 89 mayoral race was still impacting Chicago. It's actually a sad story in Chicago, uh, David, because it's um, there was so much promise uh, with Harold Washington's election in 83 and 87. You talk about the power structure. The power structure hit so hard against Mayor Washington. You What Bernie's up against, all you youngsters out there, you think Bernie's got it bad? They changed the electoral system. Yeah, they changed. To, they changed to, the system, right? Yeah, right? everything. The Tribune weighing in against. I mean, it was just. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, do you want to know um, how my students refer to this time period? What ancient? <laughs> uh, one of my students. I was talking about Clinton. Yeah, and they were like, "Did that happen in the late 1900s?" Late late 1900s. Mm -hmm. Well, so we 90s. say the 90s, right? Yeah. And we, we all know what yeah. the 90s means, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, them, yeah. 1990. Yeah, what? 1989 yeah. Wow. or 1998 or 1999 is all <sighs> the late 19th. Wow. Professor Ferris, was that the late 1900s? <laughs> oh, holy yeah. crap. Now I, I even feel old. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm so old that I can remember the middle 1900s. How about that? Right. Uh, so anyway, yeah, there you go. All right. It says here, like Preston, Sawyer also feels he's being unfairly blamed for declining in voter turnout registration and turnout are declining all over the country not just in the sixth ward he says there's something bad out there people are losing faith in politics certainly the democratic party is not what it used to be boy is this in 2020 uh, we don't have the precinct captains we used to we don't have the slate making that really means that much years ago everyone had their organizations we used to help people get jobs and kids get scholarships now with the end of patronage there aren't many jobs. Yeah, Eugene Sawyer uh, giving a shout out to patrons. His son, Rod Sawyer, is now the uh, alderman and the committeeman of the sixth ward. Sings much the same song today. Oh, looks like you got a comment on uh, this column here. Eat shit douchebag. <laughs> Whoa! From that long ago. Wow! No, uh, it, some things never change. Yeah. So, <laughs> now that's on Twitter, right? Oh, God. <laughs> so there you are, everybody. This week's Beyond the Column. Go check out the Chicago Reader. Go read Ben's column. Go get informed on all things Chicago. It's the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com. We will see you uh, soon.